Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network with myself, your host, Silas Martin. My co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. Today, we're going to be covering, you guessed it, a UFC event that just happened and a UFC event that's about to happen. But first and foremost, fuck all that because we didn't even realize last week Karate Combat is fucking back. And if your motherfuckers don't know about Karate Combat, then like we're about to drop some knowledge because anyone who ever gets bored of oh, the UFC has no personality, it's boring, they're stripped out like any opportunity for the for the fighters to ha- have like any anything interesting and you know like fucking karate combat, they got Bass Root and Machida just like in space. Like they they invented time travel. Robin Black is wearing cat boy makeup in the most recent one. Talking about flow state, doing Robin Black shit. George St. Pierre doing like a horrible acting with Stephen Thompson and uh, well, some fights as well, uh, I guess. Um, it's like full contact karate. It's kind of kickboxing, but they do some takedowns and you get five seconds to do ground and pound. The rule set's kind of fucking wacky. I don't really understand it, but the fight's, fight's pretty, pretty dope. And it's a ton of fun. Um, I think the time travel's sick. They try and make it seem like we're watching Mortal Kombat in real life. Which is, all the fights come out of, of portals as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, not a portal, a, a time travel vortex, actually, Silas. Well, I mean, in this one, they're in the digital realm. True, true. So this was a metaverse episode. Yeah, there's just fucking there's just monkey NFTs all over the place. Yep. Yeah, it, it was... Uh, Bass Rutten has a, a, a butcher's shop where he sells livers. Get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they normally have like people in the audience that are clearly like either paid actors or production uh, crew that, that are just wearing outfits uh, that are timely or or fit the, the like method they're trying to make it look like. So yeah, you know, they had to, had to have a really culturally insensitive episode in feudal Japan. So if you like that shit, yep. And, and you know, it has its own ads because there aren't like actual ads. So it'll just be like, Hey, here's boss root and fighting a, a little monkey. And and the farther you go back, the more serious it gets. It's basically like guaranteed to be a money laundering front. There's like no other way I can imagine Karate Combat actually getting investors. But but it's one of the coolest things in combat sports right now. It's not even that popular, uh, despite how the production looks, because it looks like it's popular. But then you look at the video views, and it, it gets a good amount. But it's probably some bots. Like I don't hear many people talking about it. Another thing about Karate Combat is, despite it being like, you know. A, a karate thing, a karate thing. Uh, There's a surprising amount of wrestling in like almost every fight. Yeah, and trips are really useful. the The terrain actually is like a big. Oh my god, we forgot to, to mention the pit. Yeah, yeah, the terrain is like one of the biggest aspects about it that makes karate combat unique despite all the cool production stuff because it makes pressuring a lot more valuable it makes back foot fighting have more options because there's like an inclined terrain 
there's like a there's like a a wall on the side that's slanted and you can run up it like it it's within the borders of the fight and if you push someone back onto it they'll fall normally and you can also use it to like trip people and then have them in a, a weird position where they're like sliding down a, a slide while you're beating them up yeah it, it it opens up some really interesting creative uses of of the environment that we saw like a decent amount of on this card and it really opens up some options for like ground and pound because ground and pound when your opponent is like slumped against a 45 degree angle there's so much worse for the guy on bottom than being just like flat on your back because at least like on on a flat surface, you can actually shoot your hips up and get your legs into the equation. Yeah, and your opponent doesn't have as much leverage to be standing and punching you, whereas you can have like pretty tight mechanics uh, for standing striking against a basically grounded opponent that can't move, as we saw with the main event, which we'll get to. Then onto the event, which was really good. First, uh, first episode of season four. Yeah, it was. Um, like fights. Like in all seriousness, can be like kind of hit and miss on previous seasons of Karate Combat, but every fight on this card really delivered. Another cool thing about them, they're quick cards. This was a four fight card that lasted an hour and a half, and everything in between the cards was like fun and entertaining in some way. Like, uh, these, these guys know how to cut a promo, they know, they know how to get you invested in some entirely inconsequential bollocks. It's fucking great. So, anyway, uh, first fight on the card. Tommy Azuz versus Artur Gasanov. This is a cool fight where I mean, the first round was a good bit of the guys just like whiffing big flashy kicks at each other, which you will see on Karate Combat. Um, but uh, Tommy Azuz was doing a good job of uh, like hitting counters in transitions and using takedowns to like try and make the most of that five second ground and pound rule, whereas Artur Gasanov was kind of just patiently looking for counterhooks and using uh, clinch trips to, more just to break Tommy Azusa's rhythm than uh, a- actually get damage off on the ground. Um, and then in the second round, he just found a counterhook that really stung Tommy Azusa and like he kind of bent over at the waist and Gasanov th- threw a spinning sidekick that looked like it was uh, designed to target the body, but because uh, Tommy Azusa was bent over, it smashed him in the jaw and sent his uh, mouthpiece fucking soaring. It was dope. Yeah, it's rare to see someone get uh, spinning sidekicked so cleanly in the jaw and just like not even go down. It, it got standing TKO'd, but uh, it was yeah, quite rightly so. As yeah, well. it was justifiable. It was a nasty shot. Yeah, it, you can see the sweat flying off him. It was really cool. It, it was kind of a classic karate combat archetype for fighting, where both guys are kind of just like fucking around at range for a round and then one of them gets like a pretty good read on a thing they landed like once last round and this one it was he he had found the spinning sidekick to the body a couple times and his opponent was ducking so I don't know if he intended to kick him as he was ducking or if he was just like I'll just throw it in the general area and then if it hits his chin it hits his chin but it was like pretty good shot selection you you see that from certain guys the spinning back kicks really common in karate combat uh not like KOs with it aren't that common, but pretty much everyone in uh, the org throws it, even if it's not a main fixture of their game. That's just like Karate Combat kind of has, has several archetypes because it's a very unique rule set where there will be a fight where a wrestler beats the shit out of a guy that's weaker than him and doesn't know how to defend off the bottom, and just it's constantly beating the shit out of him for five seconds at a time on the ground. 
there is dude that's utilizing the karate combat area really well, but isn't necessarily good. We kind of saw that later in the fight or later in the card, uh, like where one fighter that's very good at use- utilizing the terrain just kind of lost because he isn't actually that skilled at, at kickboxing, which does come up a lot. And then there's like the all rounders, like uh, the lightweight champion, um, Edgar Screevers, who is on next card, I believe, where he's, he's kind of just able to do everything. He can ground and pound you. He can do karate at you. Also, you will see uh, a ton of those just really funny classic karate knockouts where both guys are just like bouncing around like from miles away at each other, like just fainting at each other like, uh, uh, and then they just both teleport across distance really quickly and one of them completely dies. Yeah, and, and then there's the archetype of two really athletic people where neither of them is actually fast despite being athletic and then, or, or like athletic looking and then... I mean, it's a combat sport. There's fights where it's just some muscle truds that are really bad at fighting, and then they gas out, and then the third round's boring. But normally, karate combat's pretty good about matching those people with someone that will break them. Yeah, and the fights are short anyway. Yeah, yeah, and and, uh, there's overtime in some contexts. So karate combat has a lot of drama, even in the presentation of the fights itself, not just the, uh, the outward presentation. Yeah, so then the second fight on the card, uh, Stephanie Oliveira versus Faviola Esquivel. And the, uh, this was a cool performance from uh, Stephanie Oliveira, who was working with just like a clear like, uh, disadvantage in terms of speed and agility of Faviola Esquivel. A lot more what you think of as like a classic karate archetype, a lot of really quick, bouncy footwork. Covering distance really quickly with a couple of really big, flashy techniques. And uh, Stephanie Oliveira w- w- was kind of just like, okay, I'll just do like pressure and low kicks. And whenever you put yourself out of position doing a big, silly kick, I'm just, I'm just going to hit you back before you can get back into stance. And yes, and she, she kind of just kept at that for a couple of rounds and like did a good job of extending exchanges and not letting Esquivel get away with just throwing singular flashy techniques and then getting getting back out to long range and uh, ended up finishing her with a sequence of uh, hooks to the body which was cool. Yeah, I, I thought Stephanie Oliveira looked promising making her debut. Uh, you always like to see someone that targets the body a lot, especially in finishing exchanges or finishing sequences. So Oliveira was kind of the mechanics weren't great but the best, like the best way I can describe the way that she punches is kind of like the esports boxing game alpha footage, where you just see like the the punches look like punches, but they, there's just something really off about it. Like the the lower body doesn't move with it in in like a cartoonish way. Uh, like the the torso rotates, but in like a robotic way. I don't know. It's hard to describe watching the way she punches, but it was like pretty smart shot selection. Um, also, Sean Strickland, a, a good uh, analog for the way that way that she was like structuring her combos in the finishing sequence. But yeah, it, it was it was it was pretty cool. There's a lot of body shot finishes in karate combat. And then the third fight on the card, uh, Mitchell Thorpe versus Lazar Kukalicic. Uh, Mitchell Thorpe's like it's it's always funny to see uh, the people who come into karate combat with just like anti karate strats. Kind of how I just talked about how Stephanie Oliveira fought 
And Mitchell Thorpe's also that guy where he's just uh, just like a Muay Thai dude. <laughs> yeah. He, he just like stands really tall and square and just does like really hard round kicks to the to the arms and body and tries to do like cool trips up against the slope and fuck people up in weird ways like with the environment. Yeah, there's a lot of MMA fighters doubling as karate guys in karate combat because they, they're like a brown belt in Shotokan or something. Where basically like their style isn't very uh karate at all, but they're they're like, Well, MMA is hard. Everyone's like strong and can wrestle. I'm just gonna trip some karate guys and then get five seconds of ground and pound and not have to deal with people getting guard. Which we saw on this card, people are actually starting to adapt to uh to like strategies to counter if your back's on the fence or back is on the, the like little platform slope because you can just pull guard from there. And that's like actually the thing to do because then there's five seconds and as long as you're pulling guard, you're keeping yourself safe. And if you get your feet swept out from under you whenever you're leaning against it, that can be really detrimental. And that's one of Mitchell Thorpe's main tools uh, whenever he's pressuring is to just get someone against the slope, trip them out, and then work on their body a little bit or, or like get in some little sneaky headshots. Yeah, that is pretty much the only way to effectively protect yourself when you're stuck up against the uh, when you're stuck up against the slope. Because uh, as we were saying before, you just have like no leverage to do anything else other than like basically just jump guard. Uh, although I guess we did actually see um, uh, Fabiola Esquivel in the previous fight jump back with with her back to the slope to to try and upkick her opponent. So, so that's that's kind of a thing you can do, but you're still like, uh, uh, unless you have like the cat-like agility to somehow get back to your feet immediately off of that, you're still just like, still just gonna like fall down the slope after doing it. Yeah, uh, like Thorpe came in into the fight doing like the the very stereotypical time march, he, he but he kind of got like like British MMA fightered where he just fought someone that wasn't British and then got wrestled. Uh, even in karate combat, it happens. Like the British guy just just kind of gets out muscled in in clinch exchanges, then uh, trips onto the ground, and he he lost on like time on the ground. On the feet, it was mostly neutral, but Thorpe kind of got the bad end of a few exchanges. Yeah, I'd say Thorpe was doing uh, really well at kicking range and uh, get, getting beaten to the punch and extended exchanges a good bitch, and like you say, just kind of getting out muscled in the clinch. Lazaku collegiate. But- Noticeably larger than uh, Mitchell Thorpe. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was it was a cool fight though. Oh, and there was one point where uh, Lazar uh, got a lift on Mitchell Thorpe, but uh, he was facing the slope, and it was an awkward way place to get a takedown. So he ran up the slope and like j- kicked and jumped off of it the other way to get the takedown. Did like a fucking Showtime slam. That was neat. Yeah, it was pretty badass. Kind of won him that round. Uh, and then in the main event, uh, Ross Levine versus Igor de Castaneda. Ross Levine <laughs> doing a fantastic job of seriously adapting to the karate combat meta. Was doing a good job of uh, cutting de Castaneda off with with kicks along the slope. And de Castaneda was mostly trying to just wrestle with. I mean, it was all like lower body shot takedowns, which I don't actually believe are legal in karate combat. <laughs> yeah, like mostly mostly getting away with it. And mostly, like you know, trying trying to use them to turn Ross Levine uh, up against the slope whenever he was like feeling uncomfortable with getting pressured. But this is what you're talking about. Ross Levine is fucking smart and would just jump guard every time, and 
like decastinated wouldn't be able to get damage off and force him to get up as well and the, would make those exchanges just just kind of neutral um and then in the second round uh Ross Levine landed a sick uh, slip uppercut that uh wobbled decastinator and then tried to follow up with a high kick but decastinator pulled out of range with it but fell back up against the slope and while he was sat down at like a 45 degree angle Ross Levine fucking spinning axe kicked him in the face it was sick yeah the uppercut was like the most impressive part of it because it was kind of like the the Canelo versus I believe it was Billy Joe Saunders uppercut where you, you like pull out of the way just uh, just enough and then uppercut and just fucking blast the side of the the face that normally you want to like hit the chin but if someone's ducking real hard you can hit him like on the side of the cheek and jaw so it was a really nice uppercut and good shot selection and then the axe the spinning axe kick was just like style points and good shot selection because it was kind of like the perfect funny. thing to throw yeah it was badass like that's exactly what you want to throw there I've never seen someone get spin kicked in the face while sitting down yeah and the spinning axe kick is rare but you know, I like I've seen it in Kyokushin uh, highlights or like compilations, but I haven't seen it just in a random fight on a card I'm watching. It was awesome. Yeah, Ross Levine's definitely also just one of the the better athletes on the uh, Karate Combat roster. Oh, definitely, yeah, he, he's he's really fun. Karate Combat has a pretty good lineup at the top of each division. He clearly takes it so seriously as well. It's really funny that he's got like. He's such a like bland American grind set dude. Like he's from Boston. He trains with Calvin Cater, but but he's like a karate guy who does spinning axe, axe kicks and shit. Yeah, he just thinks violence is neat, and that's fun. Uh, so next event, I believe on the broadcast said Ed- Edgar Screevers is going to be on it. We're going to have a lot to say about Edgar Screevers. You got you got to look out for Edgar Screevers. He's a fucking madman. Yeah, he's fl- flat out one of my favorite fighters across any combat sport right now. But doesn't even matter who's on the card. For anyone who doesn't know, you just you got to get yourself some karate combat in your life. Yeah, this event was uh, the YouTube video is an hour and twenty six minutes, and a good portion of it is like ads in between. But the ads are part of it, and like the build up to the fights is also just really fun to listen to because you'll hear a bunch of funny throwaway lines. A lot of the stuff is very clearly rehearsed. Sometimes they'll have little things where someone will just be running down the street and, and doing like day-to-day things and it's very clearly like overacted by the fighters. People will be like, oh yeah, I, I fight because like my brother died and then my sensei was like, you can't go avenge your, your brother's killers. You have to like learn the honorable way of karate. And then the guy's like, this influenced my entire life and now I want to be the best fighter to ever exist. So I'm going to fight this guy on a video that's going to get 40,000 views on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's some of the sillier production you can find for any combat sport that I've ever seen, and I'm all for it. Yeah, but that's the thing. It takes itself so much less seriously than everything else that it's actually just like fun and endearing. And it's not just like like weird and cringe mm-hmm. and funny in a way that like you know, one championship like aren't in on the joke, you know. <laughs> Yeah, th- this is like the opposite of that Russian organization that has uh, that had Dennis Berenchek versus uh, Artem Lobov, where their production is actually just really cool. Like that's the coolest you can make combat sports combat sports production almost. Whereas Karate Combat is just silly. Yeah, but but then but then they've got like uh, 
legit high level amateur boxers yeah. fighting Artem Lobov bare knuckle in some hay bales. Yeah, it, it's really weird. We'll, we'll get onto that at some point if uh, an event happens, or maybe a bonus thing where we just talk about that because Russian boxing or bare knuckle boxing is fucking cool. It is is wacky. Anyway, I guess we're going to talk about this fucking UFC event. Okay, so we had a UFC fight night on Saturday night in the Apex facility. A fight night with a couple of weird light heavyweight fights at the top, but that we, but with a sneaky banger undercard that we thought might actually over-deliver compared to you know the, the name value that was on the card. And it, it really did. This was a pretty, this was a pretty good card. Do you agree, Christian? Yeah. Uh, like, in theory, this card was going to be decent, uh, but then it turned out just really good. Like, every fight that could have turned out really good did, and every fight that uh, had, like, a like a cap of being decent ended up being decent. Yeah, I mean, the fights that could have been awful were really fun in the best possible way. Yeah. And and a lot of the fights that were bad ended quickly. Mm-hmm. So let's get right into it. Jan Blahovic defeats Alexander Rakic by third round leg explosion TKO. Um, on the one hand, this is quite an unfortunate thing to happen. Uh, but on the other hand, I think the fight was uh, trending towards Jan Blachowicz fairly strongly. Uh, as we called out, Rakic's main initiating ranged weapon being low kicks was going to be a horrific idea against Jan Blachowicz because he's just you know, one of the most act- active kick defenders at light heavyweight, but also maybe just straight up the best checker of low kicks like in MMA <laughs> yeah he's just very diligent about it like pretty much throughout the entire fight and it's kind of hard to put him off of that even if you can put him off of other aspects of his game like you mm-hmm. can be kind of beating his ass and he's still going to be hard to low kick yeah and he was building up a good uh, lead of attrition to legs and body because he was n- noticeably hurting Rakic with some of the checks as well as getting plenty of uh, his own low kicks off to the lead leg. And um, the Blacker Blitzes were just really successful in this matchup because uh, Rakic really had n- no, really just had no tools other than a jump straight backwards whenever Blahovic committed to shots. So pretty much at any time he would step through and, and, and follow through with combinations, Rakic just didn't have an answer for it and was, uh, you know, Blahovic was finding his chin a lot. Rakic, durable guy but he was starting to get hurt and just the amount that he was getting hit I don't think he could have sustained over five rounds and he did get a takedown that allowed him to uh, stay on top for pretty much the whole second round where he you know, won pretty comfortably from top and got some good shots in as well and Yan was able to get up just towards the end of the round but then um, in the third round he really wasn't put off from any of that and um it seemed like it was going to be hard for Rakic to sustain any kind of wrestling offense because uh, because he doesn't have like much of a shot takedown that he can cover distance with. And like Yan was just being uh, pretty responsible with his distance and, and positioning. And the Blacker Blitzes are always a gambit, but they're a, a more and more educated gambit where at this point he's pretty much only doing them when they're going to put his opponent a lot more way out of position than 
they are going to put him out of position and he's going to have the initiative in those situations. Um, so, so it just made it difficult for Rakic to actually get to Jan's hips. Um, and then uh, at one point he does a blacker blitz and uh, Rakic jumps backwards and uh, buckles his rear leg and the fight's over. Yeah, and like Rakic, uh, of course, like it is a weird thing where he, he just stepped back and his knee exploded. So there's like a degree of luck to any time that happens. But it's not necessarily like that unlikely. I, I know that Rakic came into the fight with like apparently a, some sort of knee injury. But the way that he moves backwards in every fight is just hard on your knees. Yeah, this is what I was thinking. Like, this is, yeah, this is a. It's an un- unfortunate way for a fight to end, particularly in a, ma- in a main event. And Rakic is a talented young fighter who's clearly trying his best. But, like, if you're a huge fucking guy and, and like, every time you exit, you're just, like, launching yourself back onto your rear leg on a really weird trajectory, like, at some point, your fucking legs are just going to get, it's just going to fall off, particularly if you're getting out low kicked, like, pretty hard in a fight yeah it's the same thing for when he goes forward just to like a different extent because he's just more comfortable going forward so even though his mechanics going forward are are like kind of shitty it's just anytime he's moving backwards he looks really reactionary and he kind of like staggers onto his knee weird i mean he moves around like a giraffe on stilts yeah his upper body is so disconnected from his lower body and he's he's the guy's like a large light heavyweight so you know, like his body just doesn't move the way that he wants it to. It seems like sometimes you really can be too tall in MMA. And if you're fucking someone's lead leg up, then they're not going to be able to put as much weight on that leg. So it's like forcing all their weight onto their rear leg just for survival's sake. So though he may have been attacking that leg, the other leg was getting drained by it. So having to constantly put all of his weight onto his rear leg, especially when jumping backwards with like a 230-pound frame at light heavyweight, it's not going to be too good for your knees. So, you know, not a fluke, just wacky. You know, the the human body is weird. It's very fragile in some regards. If you just step wrong, you can fucking trash your knee. Or in, you know, like Conor McGregor's fucking ankle broken half. That shit was gross. Like, you can just step weird. And and hurt yourself. Human bodies are fragile, so I need people to stop acting like it's just some fucking oh this person got struck down by God, uh, their their knee their knee f- got broken while they were in a fight. You know, like yeah, it, I mean, you know, l- looking back at it, it's like well, how was there any other way the fight was ever going to possibly end? Yeah, like that. That's what knees do when you step onto them at like a diagonal angle and kind of bend it inwards every single time you take a back step. Like it's gonna happen eventually, and the more tired you get, the less like the the stabilizer muscles in your knee are gonna be able to stop your fucking leg from shifting side to side. And he had an injury going into it, so like that as well. You know, you always gotta just assume that every fighter's injured going into it. Yeah, and I, I think uh, Blahovich looked good. I thought he looked worse than normal, but he got, just got a neck injury. It's kind of a weird matchup, and he's coming off a loss. So I think most of it can be chalked up to like tentativeness and, and just trying to get back into the swing of things. Which, you know, that happens to everyone. And Blahovich, he looked like himself, which is important. So like, I think he's, he's still going to be around for another year or two, um, unless he just randomly falls off at some point. 
Yeah, I agree. I thought Jan looked okay. I thought he pretty much looked like himself. Yeah. He, he didn't let himself get too discouraged by losing the second round on bottom. It was a couple of rough couple of rough moments, but fought through it okay. Basically looked like himself and still looked like a top five light heavyweight. Uh, 38 years old now? Might be 39 by this point. Um, and then in the co-main, we had a light heavyweight fight of substantially less uh, high quality. Oh, it was really funny though. But way, way more fun. It was a way it better fight. Fucking it, this fight was fucking bananas. Um, yeah, Ewan Kutalava kind of just spammed takedowns, and Ryan Span didn't capitulate and just repeatedly kicked Ewan Kutalava off until he got really mad and overthrew a right hand that made him fall on his face, and he uh, stood up into a guillotine. Yeah. I, I had not considered that Ian Gutalaba could be so reckless that he could actually manage to to just like guillotine himself because Spawn had been going for the guillotine every time that Gutalaba dropped in on his hips, but this time he just kind of had a bad entry and Spawn, if you give him a good entry, he's going to guillotine you like he's a professional fighter. So, you know, I didn't expect Spawn to be good enough to just outright beat him, but he in hindsight, is apparently definitely good enough to win if uh, Kutalaba isn't on his shit. Yeah, which there's like no reason for to expect anything else from Ewan, really. I, I kind of just overlooked because like the thing that he's actually good at is like being a wrestler and top player. Is it just like, oh, if you actually get him in jiu-jitsu positions, he completely shits the bed and has no idea what to do. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Spawn... It's worth noting, looked kind of the best on the feet he's ever looked. Even he threw a one-one-two. Yeah, yeah, he he like hit his opponent as his opponent hit the cage, which you know he did in the Noguera fight. But it it was like the best his strikings looked since that fight, where where he got a knockout on an elderly person. So uh, yeah, I I mean, good on Ryan Spawn. Uh, and and Kudalaba is he he was Kudalaba. Sorry, Ryan Spawn, for underestimating you. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, never count Ryan Spawn out in a stupid, bad fight at light heavyweight. Super bad beat Hulk. <sighs> mm-hmm. um, Davy Grant knocked Louis Smoke the fuck out. Yeah, it happened differently than we expected, though. Yeah. Uh, Davy Grant, I mean, his striking is so fucking wonky. It's kind of just like throwing a bunch of silly kicks from really far away. And then just slanging absolute fucking meat in the pocket. And um, even though he has really fucking mechanics, he this is just a weirdly crafty fighter with the way that he sets up his combinations. He's just constantly watching his opponent and paying attention to how they react to the strikes he puts out there and always using that to inform the shot selection um, in the next combination, always lengthening that combination and and changing things up with you know, educated reads that he's making based on his opponent's reactions. It just looks really fucking weird sometimes when he's doing it. And he, he was absolutely blasting Louis Smolka in the first round. And to my surprise, didn't knock him out and maybe got a little bit tired. And Smolka actually uh, started finding some counters in the second round. Because, I mean, Louis Smolka is not a quick man, but neither is David Grant. And he that there's definitely a lot of inefficiency in the way that he throws his punches. Louis Smoker was able to find some counters and uh, find some clinch entries where he was able to get some nice stuff off. Uh, but eventually the uh, low kicks that 
David Grant had also been investing in, paid off, and uh, buckled Smoker's leg. And uh, it seemed like because of that, uh, Smoker also just didn't have the wherewithal to like uh, get his legs in play once things hit the ground. So David Grant just really easily got past the guard and knocked him the fuck out on the ground. Yeah, I, I think uh, on the feet, the main thing that let Smoker be as in it as he was that I didn't really think about before the fight is that Luis Smolka is not good defensively at all, but he's very defensively responsible, which is like sounds like opposite, but he'll keep his hands up very consistently. And like, if he's really close to you, he's not going to let himself get hit. He just, you know, like he, he doesn't adapt his high guard. No, he's just really slow. Yeah. His head movements pretty bad. Um, or, or like he doesn't, lean into shots that hard but like if you can kick him through the arms you can hurt him like he, he's just not uh, an imposing physical force and you can kind of move him around so david grant was hitting his shoulders a ton because david grant only throws from like about at his hip and and does like hooks that just hit the shoulders if his opponent keeps up their high guard so you know david grant's shot selection is smart in theory but his mechanics kind of limit him a lot uh, in terms of like ability to actually hurt people that are just keeping their hands up which is it, that sounds like a, a horrible uh problem in his game but it doesn't really come off that much uh <laughs> yeah like like how many people in the division are actually going to keep their hands up consistently it's like Cheeto vera lewis smolka and peter yan or i guess like <laughs> tj dillashaw you know if, if he's feeling like it you know like everyone else you're going to catch leaving the pocket because they're just going to drop their hands or, or like they'll they'll get lazy and only put one hand up, and then get hit with a a left right mix up. So, you know, it it was a good performance by Smolka too. He he really pulled out like the UFC game type adjustment where you just outlast the guy that's faster than you until he's as fast as you or as slow as you. And it it was working out. And then in the third round, Davy Grant just kind of got a second wind. It felt like, and then came out faster because. The first two rounds, it was whoever won the first 30 seconds of the round continued winning and just kept their momentum or like didn't let their opponent stop their momentum for very long. And David Grant got tired going into the second. And then by the time the second ended, Smolka was also tired. So Davey just had to kind of lean on being a better athlete again, which it's rare that David Grant gets to lean on being a better athlete. Um, normally, he just gets by on being a harder hitter, which kind just of being a fucking lunatic. Yeah, yeah, being a warrior and having like pretty annoying shot selection to deal with because his shot selection is not good by any stretch. He does like spin kicks all the time, but he, I mean, he lands them sometimes, so it's not like awful. And, and he's very consistent, you know. Like he, at least he's not doing like uh, jumping side teeps that are they're missing by a mile or anything. Like he's he's actually, you know, thinking about the stupid spin kicks he's doing, but you know he. he He's he's only so dynamic, you know. It, it's mostly like a little little wheel kick and then some left hook, right hook mix ups. Yeah, and he always has the the wrestling in his back pocket. Yep. Yeah. The, I, I, we mentioned that as an afterthought, but it's like a, a main fixture of his is like skill base. Is that he's he's like a, a good grappler. Yeah. So next fight, and we should probably start getting through these a little bit. But yeah, uh, Kaylin Chikagan defeated Amanda Hebush, uh, not by knockout. I don't know if Amanda Hebus' chin is just better at flyweight or if she was just fighting uh, Caitlin Chukagian. Final, what do you think of this fight? Uh, to me, it felt like Hebus is just better at 125. Uh, you know, like, 
some people are down on her because she lost a decision to Chukagian. But really, like, it, it's Hibasa's first fight at 125. She'll grow into the weight more. Uh, maybe she'll stay the same size. But either way, Chukagian's ranked number one. So, in theory, she has only lost to the second best fighter in the division. So, in it's theory. not that bad. Yeah, and I think Hibasa's ceiling is higher at 125 just because of, like, the lesser depth. Because I kind of think everyone in the top five of, uh, of 115 knocks out Hibas. Yeah, and th- and this was this was still like a pretty goddamn close fight. That I think yeah. some people were saying that Amanda Hebas could have had a case for winning. Um, but Caitlin Chukagan, like she's got problems, and she's really unathletic. But she's just look, she's just a difficult fighter for for a lot of people to beat in this division. And if you're like not not that big in the division, and you're taking like your first fight in, the, in against someone in the division, short notice. Caitlin Chukagan is just, just a hard style matchup, particularly for, for someone like Amanda Heber. Because she's really consistent, she's really mobile, she puts out a ton of output, and she's decent at getting up off her back. Yeah, I think the consistency is the main aspect that kind of carries Chukagan's career. Because she's going to have fights where she's... She... really hard to put off her game. Yeah, and, and I feel like if I look back at who I've picked over Caitlin Chukagan, I... I could understand why, but also she's just very consistent. Like, if you understand Chukagian's game really well, you're going to pick all of her fights correctly. Yeah. Whereas, like you say, Amanda Hibas, if she, if she does decide to stay at this division, she probably just, like, wins and loses a bunch of decisions against all of the good fighters at the top and, you know, get, gets finished by Valentina but whatever everyone does. Yeah. Whereas, like you say, if she goes back down to strawweight, yeah, she'll, like, be able to... Impose like more of a physical game, uh, uh, and and you're going to get to see some of that like slick lockdown wrestling and grappling. Like, yeah, just everyone in the top five is probably just going to knock her the fuck out. Yeah, and and if I think about matchups for even people that are coming up at 125, like her versus Casey O'Neill seems really cool. Yeah, like I want to see that in the future. Like, there's a few ma- like prospect matchups that I could see her being a good test for them, and maybe just beating the shit out of them or losing to them. So yeah, Med Hebas looked pretty good at 125, and Chukagian pulled a Chukagian. Hmm. Then uh, Camacho Man- Manuel Torres. Yeah, Frank Camacho looking pretty old, uh, and Manuel Torres look- looked okay. Yep, he's like just clearly. Made a lot of improvements as a striker. Just calmed the fuck down a lot, and is just throwing clean, straight shots. And uh, had had a really nice finishing sequence against Camacho. Yeah, uh, just uh, right hook, left hook, or was it left hook, right hook? It doesn't matter. It, it was just very nice hook sequencing, and uh, he like set up the like final killing blow really well. The first shot is what it was going to knock down Camacho. But then the second shot just like flushed him out. Uh, I mean, I mean, Camacho like was already kind of done because he he'd just been getting blasted up against the cage and looked like he just like, wasn't really able to recover from those kind of shots anymore. So when Torres landed that kind of like slipping uppercut, it was like like that was it. It's a shame Camacho's uh, always been fun, but it was only so long that 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 kind of thing was going to last. Um, Jake Hadley. Lost to Alain Nascimento in the way that everyone picked Jake 
Hadley to beat Alan Nascimento, which was that Alan Nascimento was just like a more of a consistent top player. Um, and I uh, looked better on the feet as well. He looked way more just like clean mechanically and was picking his shots a lot better, not, not just like leaping across distance with a bunch of wacky stuff. So that was cool. Yeah, he bleached his hair and his kickboxing got better. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jake Hadley, still a good flyweight. Keep him around. Good fight. Uh, Viviano Araujo versus Andrea Lee. This was a pretty fucking crazy fight. Like something like a minute into this fight, uh, Andrew Lee dropped Araujo, uh, beating her to a lead hook. And uh, it was just a little flash knockdown. But as Araujo uh, was standing up, Andrew Lee hits her with a high kick that fucking folded her in half. And I was like, oh, well, that's it. Uh, but it wasn't. Uh, Araujo did a good job of just uh, getting her shit together and uh, was able to impose a really physical wrestling game on Andrea Lee. Uh, where we saw like uh, how good Arujo is on top, which is uh, great passing, uh, great pressure on top. Like she will go for submissions, but generally from dominant positions where she's not, where, where, where it's not like a big gamble on, on selling out for the sub. And uh, yeah, just really uh, forced Andrea Lee to work on the bottom and kind of just beat the fuck out of her to where she just wasn't really in the fight by the third round. Yeah, it was. It seemed a bit like uh, Andrea Lee, like her consistent inability to make decisions against grapplers that are like walking at her. She, she's just able to lose rounds really hard. So like the second and third, she she just was it the third round. She threw a fucking hook kick or something and got taken down. Yeah, yeah, like that type of stuff is. She should be past that, and I don't think she's going to be past it. Yeah, and it was just as it was at the point where maybe Araujo was starting to become a victim of her own pace, and Andrew Lee could have taken over, and then just like a singular moment of bad brain thinking lost the rest of the round for her, which was unfortunate. But it, you know, it would have been a lot for her to get back into that round. It probably should have been a draw though, because like yeah. she damn near knocked Araujo out in the first round. <laughs> Yeah, it was like a double knockdown that I think they only counted as one knockdown. But that was a, like that 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 fight should have been a draw, I think. But uh, Viviani, you know, she she's very tough, so definitely she's she's not just gonna go away uh, when Andrea Lee puts some shots together. Andrea Lee really needed to like go for the attrition, but she just found a moment early that kind of shut down Araujo and maybe stopped. Uh, her potential to build throughout the fight because Arujo was trying so immediately to fight from behind, which kind of like Arujo needed to be able to win the fight. I think if they had just kickbox at range, Arujo maybe could have gotten a moment and like won a round on a knockdown, but then otherwise just gets kickboxed. So I think it's just a weird, it, like in the first round, Andrew Lee just fucking got some shots together and then it, it made the fight turn out into kind of a really scrappy uh, attrition battle. Yeah, and it is it was just an issue for Andrea Lee that um she's really hard to put away on the ground, but she generally gets really tunnel visioned on submission defense and will struggle to actually work to improve position. And look, will will be averse to like t- taking gambles on 
you know, uh, a, a, a scramble that like could put her in a worse position, but also would be more likely to actually get her back to the feet where she's able to win the fight. Uh, Michael Johnson knocked out Alain Patrick. Yeah, Alain Patrick looked very slow, and Michael Johnson looked slower than he used to, but still he's quick as fuck. Yeah, um, and in a fight where you've got a guy who's terrified of grappling versus a guy who's terrified of striking, I'm generally going to pick the guy who like can grapple because it just seems like they have uh, wider margins. He's always had a first layer of takedown defense. Yeah. And the Lampertrick was just so supremely uncomfortable with uh, having to wade through range against someone who was that quicker than him and that, that much more of a technical puncher. And uh, yeah, Michael Johnson uh, got his first knockout win in six years. Mm-hmm. It was a, a pretty surprising performance by Michael Johnson almost, but like also not that surprising. I mean, you called it. Yeah, I mean, I called it, but it was very tentative. Uh, but yeah, he he was just way faster than Lampetrik, and and that kind of enabled him to just be like, "Oh, the guy's trying to shoot a takedown. I will fucking move away because I I see that he's trying to take me down for like three seconds before he does it." It's like if you give Michael Johnson enough time, like he's still going to react quickly and defend a takedown. You kind of got to trick him a little bit, and Lampetrik is too slow to do that. Yeah, or you've got to be. Darren Elkins is just dogged, just able to walk through the fire and able to in, in order to get there. Yeah, and Alain Patrick is way too worried about getting knocked out, so he's gonna get knocked out if he's fighting a guy that just can sprawl or or like limp like once. Mm-hmm. Bernard Jandaroba out grappled Angela Hill. Yeah, yeah. The, the classic. Not really much yeah. to say about it. It was a good fight though. Was Bernard Jandaroba is good. And um, the end of the fight was funny because Jandaroba uh, pulled an armbar from bottom and Angela Hill just put her knee on Verna's jaw and she looked really sad. And it was <laughs> funny. Yeah, that's one of the funnier MMA images of the year. Uh, and then Tatsuro Tyra versus Carlos Candelario was sick. Uh, Tatsuro is a prospect. He's definitely got some refining to do. But his finishing instinct looked good, even though he didn't get the finish. He was very insistent about making sure that he won the rounds. And his striking looked much improved from what I had seen in the, his regional footage. Yeah, he looked a little tentative at first. But it seemed like once he got into the fight a little bit and he got a bit of a read in Candelario's timing, he was just kind of picking him apart with really clean, straight shots. And uh, we saw that just absolutely magnificent back control that he's famous for from his career before the UFC, wasn't able to get the finish, but against a guy who we knew was going to be a tough out for, you know, a, re- a really young guy who just, uh, <clears throat> who just maybe hadn't fought someone with, with that much experience. Um, but he won the fight like super easily, like 30-26. So that was cool. Taro is, yeah, like, like you say, um, I think his biggest issue is that he wants to fight a pretty medium controlled pace and that is going to be harder for him the more he works up the division. But I can see uh, his form of just lockdown back control being really solid for countering just the insane uh, scrambling meta of flyweights. He can be like uh, the new juicy A4 Miga except 
way more athletic. Yeah, I, I think he he's like the most impressive aspect of the performance is that he didn't sell out going for a finish and he was just kind of willing to take a very clean, dominant win where he was actually beating the shit out of his opponent. So like in the third, he was really going at, at him trying to like take him out with ground and pound uh, towards the end of the fight. And it was like, dude, you already won. Like you, you would assume that someone that wants to finish or wants to win as like hard as he wants to win would get more finishes. But he, I mean, he's, he's just willing to beat the shit out of you and, and keep himself safe. So that's impressive. I, I think it's smarter for him to go at a medium pace because he seemed to get a little tired in the first round. Uh, but then, you know, just the, the nature of his style kind of let him recover and then hurt his opponent in the second and then kind of ride out the next round safely. So that's impressive. And then also Andre Petrovsky versus Nick Maximov was so short and very stupid. Oh, yeah. I mean, at first it was like insane because the dudes come out having like a fucking Lumpini open stance kicking battle. They're like just round kicking into cross checks and shit. And then they had a cool scramble, and Nick Maximov got submitted. It was like the best version of what this fight possibly could have been. Yeah, I was not disappointed by it at all. No, it's how we knew the card was off to a good start. Yeah, it set a good tone for the, the rest of the event. So, there is a UFC event this weekend. Um, the main event is Holly Holm versus Caitlin Vieira. Now I have some thoughts on this fight, but you told me before we recorded that like you know exactly what is going to happen and you're sure. So, I, I am I am nearly one hundred percent sure that Ketlin Vieira is just going to like like miss a lot because you know Holly Holm is annoying to fight, and I think if you can just annoy Ketlin Vieira, you can make her miss a lot. And Holly, I think Holly Holm's probably just going to like hit her with straight shots on the back foot and then eventually Ketlin's just going to get kind of like I don't know like put into a shell like I don't think she's going to be throwing back very much after a couple rounds and it seems like if they end up clinching up it's just going to be Holly Holm holding her against the fence and I don't really think Ketlin is strong enough to deny Holly Holm grappling her at all despite being a better technical grappler I think I think she's going to have like good ideas for what to land on Holly but Holly's just just very fleet of foot still just gonna like maneuver yeah i mean that was what i was going to ask you about this matchup because you're like weirdly into caitlin vieira she's fun i I mainly just wanted to ask you is there like any reason that holly home can't just like do a holly home shit and just like uh run away and do sidekicks to the legs and body a lot and then do like the counter left straights if Kellen Vieira gets a bit reckless and hits some opportunistic takedowns and probably actually kind of beat the fuck out of Kellen Vieira as it gets late and Kellen Vieira just yeah. gets really tired of trying to track down Holly Holm. Holly Holm can still do this shit all motherfucking day. Yeah, I think that the worst thing that could happen for Holly Holm in regards to her chances of winning is to like do something that kind of puts off Kellen from the beginning because Holly is not good on the front foot and Ketlin Vieira is pretty easy to make stop pressuring. Like, you, you can get her on the back foot or, or just, like, kind of standing still wanting to, to do counters pretty early. So someone that's just going to stand there and look for, like, kind of smart counter shots could actually annoy Holly Holm if, if you can get Holly Holm needing to lead 
but Holly Holm also is very uh, doesn't want to lead. So you know, I can see the fight getting kind of scrappy. Uh, Holly Holm also, if Ketlin gets the back, it's going to be difficult for Holly. I don't think Holly's past that point in her career where she can still be RNC. So you know, Ketlin has has like a route to victory, but I think it's mostly dependent on Holly's approach. I, I think it's a very winnable matchup for Holly. Oh, and then Ponzinibbio versus Michelle Pereira. I'm picking Michelle Pereira so confidently by knockout. Don't ask me why. I'm going to ask you why. This is an analysis podcast. Okay, fine. Um, I think he's fast and going to knock out Santiago Ponzinibbio because Ponzinibbio is slowing down and uh, he, he's, his chin isn't bad now. It's just diminished. And Michelle Pereira kind of is due to get a knockout win because Ponzinibbio is like just good enough to where I can see him slipping into some stupid shit. Yeah. Um, like if this was Ponzinibbio in any kind of good form, I'd pick, be picking him pretty confidently, but not been looking in great form recently. No. I'm um, like, he can pressure and Michelle Pereira hates that, but he also has awful finishing instincts when his opponent is capitulating on the back foot. Um, I, don't know, I still feel like I have to pick Ponzinibbio by just like, just like knowing how to fight. It's a coward's decision, but I respect it. Uh, yeah, he's probably going to lose though. Like, like you, yeah, like Pereira is, he's fast and he's weird. I don't know. Yeah, and like Pons, he pressures, but can you imagine if uh, if Pons Nabio got Michelle Pereira on the fence like he had Neil Magny on the fence for like three rounds? Michelle Pereira's going to knock him out off the cage there, right? Yeah, I mean, or, or he's just going to like, I don't You know what? I, th- I think Michelle Pereira is exactly weird enough to just put Pons off of his shit. Something we talk about a lot is like kind of minimalist technician and how they approach a weird guy. And there's kind of like two different ends of the spectrum in that regard, in that you, you've got like a, a minimalist technician who will see a weird guy and like get really put off their game and get really tentative because they don't know what to expect. And you've got guys who will just be like, oh, this guy's just doing dumb shit and he doesn't know how to fight and this is all smoke and mirrors and I can just walk up to him and punch him. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think Pop Bonds is just going to get weirded out and he's going to get weirdly tentative and that's going to let allow Michelle, Michelle Pereira's game to open up what, you know, whatever his game is. is, is you know, you know, you know is, he's, he's going to be pushing him back with feints and stuff and Pereira's just going to be like, oh, I'll do Superman punch off the cage and he's going to miss. And Pons is going but to be he's like, going to end up in the center of the cage. Yeah. Um, is, I think, a middleweight to be reasonably excited about even though he's not young in his career. Um, He's kind of coming in with that, with that Chris Curtis kind of record, where super experienced on the regionals and an accomplished fighter that you can kind of just be putting straight into meaningful matchups. Uh, I think this is a pretty good fight for him. Is uh, Dushko Todorovic is uh, okay, uh, but really inconsistent and gets knocked out all the time. Yeah, like he's he's been knocked out twice, but it feels like. Like, he's just the guy that gets knocked out at this point. His head moves so fucking far every time he gets hit by anything clean. And Chidi is probably going to send him flying at some point. Oh, yeah. Chidi's a huge puncher. He's got crazy long arms. But also worth noting, Chidi might get taken down and just kind of fucked up from top. 
Uh, Eric Anders is fighting the Iron Turtle. Iron Turtle's probably going to beat the fuck out of him. That should be fun. Yep, good fight. Um, Jilton Almeida is fighting Parker Porter. That's weird. It's going to look really funny. Jilton Almeida's a huge jack to Donis, and Parker Porter's like like five foot nine and two hundred and sixty pounds. <laughs> I don't know, Jelton yeah, is going to throw him into space, right? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to pick Jelton. Oh, and John, Jonathan Martinez fighting Vince Morales. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, Vince Morales, honestly, probably like deserving a bigger step up at Bantamweight at, at this point. But, you know, um, uh, but Vince Morales is, you know, he's, he's just mostly just been uh, looking perfectly fine and quietly winning fights, but keeps winning and has had a couple of good finishes recently. Jonathan Martinez uh, has some cool tricks, but has kind of been capped a little bit by just defensive liabilities and not uh, being particularly durable. Uh, Omar Morales versus uh, Uros Medic is kind of fun. Omar Morales is just like a pretty uh, consistent, well-schooled striker. And Uros Medic is a fucking lunatic who finishes everyone in the first round until he fought Jalen Turner, who finished him in the first round. That's fun. Chase Hooper's fighting a guy. How uh, much does Chase Hooper get beaten up before he does or doesn't submit a guy? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to pick Chase Hooper. Yeah. My my scientific reasoning is he has two losses and his opponent has three losses. They have the same amount of wins. That is exactly the kind of analysis that people listen to the show for. Yeah, I, but that's, yeah. that's basically... Uh, hey, at least Reed Sam Hughes is cool. Is it? Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not like like that interesting or deep, but I, I'm excited. Yeah, we've, we've, we've talked about this card too much. But, and this is probably a hilariously long episode, but still one last thing I want to mention that is happening this weekend that's cool and you should watch. And I'm not going to get into that much technical depth when it comes to the matchups because uh, it's a one championship card that is mostly a bunch of ties fighting uh, white dudes. And uh, I'm just not that uh, down on the international Muay Thai scene. So I haven't heard a lot of these guys. And I just generally assume that they get the fuck beaten out of them by the Thai dudes until that like, I see otherwise. But you've got a former Lumpini champions, both uh, Petch Morikot, Petch Indy, and uh, Prajan Chai, PK Sanchai Jim, uh, defending their Muay Thai titles. Uh, Petch Morikot's a really cool, aggressive clincher. And Prajan Chai... Uh, one of the most dedicated boxers that you'll see at the top end of Muay Thai, which is not a style that you typically see in Muay Thai, which is cool. And then you've got uh, their Muay Thai flyweight uh, Grand Prix, which uh, has got a bunch of uh, really good fighters, but like mostly I think we're going to get into the matchups in the next round of the tournament. Kind of a lot of the filler matchups have been weeded out and you start getting into the really interesting stuff. Um, you know, they've set up Rod Tang and Jonathan Haggerty with some squash matches. Uh, I guess to hope that we're going to get a third fight between them in the quarterfinals. And I would assume that the winner of that is going to be pretty heavily favored to win the tournament. But you've also got like um, a super let Kiatmikau versus Taki Naito is a fight in the tournament, which is really interesting. I mean, uh, Pampayak Jitmanong is an alternate fight. 
And, you know, tournaments are just always cool. There's always going to be some crazy upsets and some shit you don't see coming. And you get to follow the whole narrative of, like, you know, who all of these fighters are and just the whole, like, story of the tournament unfolding. So that's always fun. And the, the car's just cool. Davy Kiria's fighting. Uh, Shinya Aoki's back after his devastating loss to Sexy Armor. Yeah, so if you enjoyed this content and all the other great stuff that the Fight Side puts out, consider supporting them on Patreon. Just a pledge of $3 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical fight content. Then a pledge of $5 gains access to a Discord server where we have a great community of interesting fight fans from a variety of different backgrounds. We have some really interesting discussions. and You can talk to staff. Myself and Christian are really active in in the text chats and we regularly host fight night watch parties where we all get together and voice chat have a couple cold ones with the boys watch some fights always good fun should come hang out support the fight site this has been the forbidden technique podcast we'll see you later later